So good morning, good evening, good afternoon, whatever it is, wherever you are. My name is Andrew Grossett, for those of you who don't know who I am, and welcome back to the Andrew Speaks podcast. And so today I am, shall we say, honoured, blessed, um, fortunate, privileged, there's all sorts of words that you can attach to my, to, to, to evaluate my excitement for today's interview podcast you see I can't even get my words together today um, I was very fortunate to take part in this lady's um, this lady's radio station and, and that actually is what gave permission to this podcast in the first place whether that be both the fruition of the idea and actually the mechanics of getting this podcast together and put out and yeah living live the dream so to speak so I am absolutely honoured to welcome Nicolette to the Andrew Speaks podcast. Thank you so much, Andrew. It's such a pleasure to be here. Now, before we even get into it, can you listen to this lady's voice? <laughs> Lady of soul. It's like silky smooth. Like It's one of those voices you could just listen to over and over again and just say, say something. Just <laughs> say you. something. You know? So, yeah. So, Nicolette, welcome. Thank you. Great. Welcome. Um, and today we're just, we're just, we're just talking. Mm. We're just having a chat. And But in particular, I wanted to delve into... The story of you, the story that made you, I don't know which title is more apt to put to it, but really just the backlog, the the story of what's happened up until now that's created the wonderful person that you are now. Yeah, and I don't often get the opportunity actually to talk about myself. Well, we're we're here to find out more. So wherever you want to start on your timeline, um, let's just hear about your story. Well, I think let, let, the first thing that came to mind when you were saying, let's talk about you and what got you here, was I was thinking about going to nursery. Nursery? Yeah. I mean, that's going really far back. That is. That is. <laughs> that is. It's like, that's not quite what I meant. Oh, no. Well, it, it is what it is. It is what it is. If, if, if that sparks thoughts of nursery, then that's, by all means, that's where we'll start. Yeah, I think the reason why it sparked nursery is because my dad was a real forward thinker. And um, as a a black child growing up in the early 70s and as a a black female child, there was a lot to say about not really giving them much time or space because they're only going to get pregnant, get married, and there's no point in investing in them. Okay. (laughs) So from my dad's perspective, he didn't actually take that on. And I went to nursery from just under a year. And when I was at nursery, that's where I learned to communicate. It was that interaction with the carers, with the other children, with learning to ask for what I want in my own baby language. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure it probably wasn't actually baby language. It was far more articulate than that. But yeah. Yeah. And and, and really um, learning how to express myself. And I think that laid the foundation of you're asking that big question of you know how did you get to be who you are today yeah someone who communicates who really enjoys communicating who loves people loves being around them loves finding out about them loves serving them nurturing them supporting them and being a part of of their lives and also really seeing the goodness in everybody it sounds a bit idealistic but you know we don't come out the womb i reckon being evil or nasty or horrible so you know it's there within us innately and then it gets sort of distorted somewhere along the way yeah yeah i mean you're talking about that whole 
excitement about people or on radio or just talking to you your your voice and everything about you is always animated but in a in direct in the direction of the positive mm, well, thank you for that and it's it's well it's i think it's a it's a it's a quality that a lot of people should pay more attention to mm. um i always want to talk to people when we talk talk to people about how they talk you know and you go right well your mood that's your mood that you're emitting actually is what you're requesting back so when you're busy talking in a negative light you think that you're venting but really what you're doing is you're requesting you're requesting more of that of which you're giving so i think that part that whole it's not even positive thinking but that positive tone that part that direction of happiness emitting um, out of your out of yourself is really key and really important yeah it's one of the things you do very well well thank you andrew i think it's really important because because we're vibrations you know energetically we're constantly vibrating if we're aware of the level of vibration that we're emitting as we live so if you have a low vibration you're usually either depressed or tired or just not able to connect with someone and Mm. if you have a high vibration you know, if we go to the extreme, you're quite animated. <laughs> You've got to find a happy medium. But you want to have something that is medium and above. I say you, you, know, you want, ideally, we all want to be happy in some way. So happiness, usually, whatever that means to the individual, comes from a higher vibration. Yeah. So things that you say, things that you do, and of course this comes initially from things that you think. Yes. What you say is a reflection of what's going on in your head. So what you talk about there needs to be awareness of it yeah i'm just going to go back to that subject of happiness because it's mm. something that's absolutely fascinated me for, for those of you that have been listening to the podcast over the over the however many weeks that we've been going on you'll notice that success and happiness and the endless debate amongst the two has been going on and rife within every conversation that we've been having because i do think that people get confused i think that people forget that the actual mark of success of life i believe anyway is truly measured by how happy you are yes and i would i would um even question a little deeper on that which is that the happiness is extremely subjective so often we don't know what makes us happy yes or where we often we find that happiness from external influences yes. and when I, th- I think when you start to realize that actually the happiness starts from a sense of fulfillment of self and it emits out then you've got a great starting place um, rather than wanting to change your state in some way whether it's through alcohol or through something else to gain that act that that happiness if you can start from yourself you won't need anything else to bring you pleasure it's like I wish I had a giant bell to sort of ring yes. right about now and ring it really enthusiastically and because it's it resonates with me so well I mean I, for myself personally for years I searched for happiness from an external source whether that be a relationship a car at some points um jewelry whatever it is it may be and you have you you're you fall into this this I won't use trap we'll use the word rhythm rhythm to do with society and what the information we're receiving tells us is what we should have that makes us happy when when really and truly the happiness starts it starts within based on how we feel about ourselves really and understanding what that truly is you know and and you touch i'm glad you touched on that point of understanding what makes you happy because actually working working out what that is is actually the the first step 
people thinking it's just you sat still sort of just thinking about stuff but no that that actualization that understanding is the first point of actualizing or realizing an, an action point yeah definitely um we, we, we each individual each person has a, a desire to have uh, natural human needs that we sort of need to survive really mm. and a sense of fulfillment i think is one of them yeah and how does one get that you know where in our society are we actually shown or sure. guided to find fulfillment from self because the minute you do that you are targeted as selfish yes yes that word selfish yes completely and so it's quite a challenge to then start thinking i'm going to give myself time to think give myself time to love because you're supposed to be doing it to everybody else apart from you <laughs> and if you do do it to yourself then um that's that's what the definition of selfish apparently apparently so we're in the nursery and we're communicating yes communicating with those around us up here and 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 the and the care, people that are taking care of us yes in our nappy and, ba and baby language and all you know so why was that, why do you picture that as such a significant point because i think that formative years you know from zero to seven um carl jung psychologist he believed that you are the sum of those experiences from zero to seven. So the stuff that you experience during that time will determine your thoughts, your feelings, your behavior, your way of seeing the world seven plus. It's kind of already put in place for you. So me being able to have the opportunity to socialize yes. with other young beings uh, be in an adult space with the carers who I was really lucky. They were great carers, yeah, um, and and they had great communication skills with the youngins. So I was able to learn how to respond and to ask for in a way where they kind of compassionately corrected you, adjusted you, okay. you weren't chastised on you know unnecessarily. Yeah. You know, it was a really lovely relationship. Relationship that allowed me to flourish and grow. And I, I, I think I, I find myself really fortunate for that because in those times, I do believe that under a year was very early to go to nursery. Yeah. Especially for a, a girl. Yeah. And my dad was always, the, the people were always saying to him, what are you sending, nursery? She's, she's only, you know, 11 months. Why are you sending her to nursery? That must have been a pretty hard decision for him to make. It was, but for what? It, because he was so forward thinking. Yeah. He was looking ahead. At, must have been looking ahead at my future and what it's going to give me, and the investment of a parent for a child, giving them the opportunity to have a great start. You know that that initial foundation, I think, is paramount to the being of an individual. Wow. Yeah. doesn't mean that every child should have that. That's not what I'm <laughs> suggesting. Um, it's just that this is what supports where I am today. Yeah. And I'm very grateful for it. I suppose it also also plays a part in how you now see it, do you think? Because um, it's one thing your dad foreseeing that in his position as to where he was. But now you as the adult looking back, you could look at that in one of two ways. You can look at it as you've taken it from now, or you could look at it with 
I didn't have my dad for as many hours during the day as other children had. Mm. You know, so I think there's a lot. What am I trying to say? I think he took his his foresight took an element of risk and gamble into it. Into I quote Steve Jobs all the time, but, but mm. it's a bit like trusting that all the dots are going to line up at line up at the end. Yeah, you know, I, I hear what you're saying, and I think both my parents worked, so. Uh, that thing about not being around your parents all the mm. time and just being around them in the evening or first yeah. thing in the morning, etc. Um, I've never really looked at it that way because I don't, I don't see how it's affected me in any no. way. You know how it's been a negative. No. Um, if anything, being away from them with other people, I feel has definitely supported my development. And then being with them again after not seeing them for so long. Yeah. Is that kind of oh, it's mummy and daddy again? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but, but, I mean, as I said, I was just highlighting that in the sense of you can. I suppose when I when I speak to a lot of people, how they interpret what happened to them when mm. they were younger, and obviously we're we're taking out and subtracting all the serious, um, serious situations that young some young children have been unfortunate to have been subjected to, but. When some people, when a lot of people, when I look, when I when I speak to them and they look back over their previous years, over their past, it's a their their view of it is largely based on what they're experiencing now. So they look back on it either with angst or with praise, based on the position that they're in. Because a lot of people hold their past accountable to what they're experiencing in their present. I hear what you're saying, and my past wasn't that amazing you know my, my parents got divorced when I was 11 and I, I think children are very resilient they always know what's going on even when you try and protect mm -hmm. them so um, I, my parents my mum my obviously tried to protect me from what was really going on yeah but I picked up on the fact that disharmony issues in the family and eventually when there's a separation you kind of know okay well it's happened you know mm. and if you're around other people who are um, having, who, who are grown up in a, a, a family where mummy and daddy isn't together, yeah. then it, it, it becomes something that isn't so, oh my gosh, you know, my world's going to fall apart if this happens. Yeah. So um, I, my childhood was, was an experience in itself when my mm. parents uh, divorced and I had my first job when I was 12 in order yeah. to, you know, hold my own. Uh, mum was a single mum, worked full time, and um, I kind of supported the, the 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 house as well as she did. You know, with things like cooking and cleaning and just pulling together to make it work. And it was important. Uh, interestingly enough, it was important to me to be able to financially hold my own as well, which is why I got my first job at twelve. Because I think I must have realised that mum's not going to be able to give me the money I might want for those extra things, just school things, going out of the weekend, clothes, makeup, all the things that kids want, you know, young girls. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, I got a job and, and I'm really glad that I did because it just taught me how to budget, how to spend money, how to save uh, the value of money. Yeah. Yeah, it taught me a lot. I think, this, I think that point's actually quite significant. Yeah. I think it's almost like, I mean, I've got the benefit of sitting here watching you tell that story and watching these light bulbs going off around <laughs> around your head. If you can just imagine Nicholas, she's talking in this. It's almost like if it was a cartoon, you hear ping, ping, yeah, ping, ping. Exactly. It's going to, as these memories are coming in and they're, and they're, they're, 
they're combining with understanding. I'll use that phrase because it's the first one that popped in my head that actually made sense to come out of my lips. Mm. But that sense of pride of being able to, that sense of pride, that sense of importance that you had, that you placed on, having, wanting to, or needing to support the house and hold your own. And you use that phrase, hold your own. And when people use that phrase, hold my own, to, it's, a lot of people use it in a blase sense, but actually it's probably one of the most significant sentences you could, you could mention because it paints a very vivid picture. You wanted to be self-sufficient. You wanted to take control. Mm. You know? And that, when I speak to a lot of people, and that sort of thing, that, that an, a situation sparks that kind of response in your younger years, you usually find that those are the people that lead the pack. Those mm. are the people that move on and more, are more entrepreneurial than they are um, seeking jobs. You usually, find, you usually find those people at the head of the ground because that life, I, I always say to people, you know, at some point in time, I say it to my son the other day, at some point in time, life's going to pop your, pop your bubble and punch you in the side of your head. You know? <laughs> and I do believe that everybody, everybody goes through that. You go through a point where life goes, okay, who are you? Mm. And I think for a lot of us, mine included, and, and now we're experiencing and understanding yourself, mm. that that happened quite young. And at that age, at that time, you had to, you had your fight or flight decision. Yeah. You could either sink with it and go, right, well, this has happened to me, woe is me. Mm. But there was something in you that stopped that. Yeah, and, uh, you know, hearing you recount that back to me, I'm thinking that there, there must have been a moment where I made that decision, accepted responsibility, in order to not be a victim. But what's interesting, I think, is that as you continue to evolve as a young person, coming away from the, the, the domestic of home and mum and dad, etc., and starting to create your own identity, there are still opportunities, moments and slidebacks where you can become a victim because you don't know any other way. Yeah. Or you can not take responsibility because you haven't encountered that actually maybe I need to look at this differently. Yeah. Um, and that happened, that happened to me, you know, in reflection. It's like, oh, you know, when X happened, I didn't take responsibility. When Y happened, I was a victim. And nobody really wants to see themselves in that way. Yeah. But if I'm honest, that is what happened. And that has um, sort of formed who I am today. Yeah. So we've gone from the nappy. So we're past nappy change. Yeah, we're past nappy. I nappy need to change, change my own nappies. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Apply my own pseudocream and extra X, Y, and Z. Yeah. So we're, I'm only saying that because I'm literally elbow deep in the stuff right about now. Um, so we're past, we're past the nappy stage and cha changing stage. Mm. Now we're on to the stage where we're how old? And we're now, now parents are now divorced and we're sort of yeah, to find our so own Yeah, so we are now, I would say, well, the 11, 12, 13, okay. 14, 15s, that kind of thing. So what happened next? So parents are divorced. Uh, my dad's schizophrenic, okay. diagnosed. So um, he refused to acknowledge that okay. and therefore refused to have any medication, which of course, that was the demise of the relationship. Okay. And that of course meant that his behavior was extremely erratic and out of character. Okay. Um, that as a consequence meant that he was admitted eventually to Springfield Hospital okay. in, in uh, Tooting, London. And 
I, I think, yeah, I think I understood that. I don't know if I understood the real impact and the significance of having mental illness yeah. and what it really was. Mm. But I, I knew that the impact of mum and dad being divorced and therefore trying to sell the, the home that we used to live in. Yeah. Um, I was fortunate enough to go to private school. But the issue was that when my parents were getting divorced, of course, the finances yeah. were, you know, rocky. Yeah. And it was like, well, how are we going to continue to pay the school fees? So that was something I remember being a bit of a, my life could change here. Yeah. Um, fortunately, I had a wonderful headmistress and the mum and dad and the headmistress came together and there was a decision made, which I'm so grateful for, that when the house was sold, that would go towards the fees. And until that point, I would continue at the same school. Wow. I know. Wow. Amazing, huh? Yeah. Because being thrown out of a, a private all-girls school where you have less than a hundred pupils in the whole school. Yeah. It's a house. It's not a big, it's a house. <laughs> you have to paint them. It is a, it's a house. It is a house. A but house. It, it literally, Andrew, it was a house. Wow. The house in Wimbledon. And I know how fortunate I am now looking back on it. When people say to me that there's like, you know, 50 kids in one class. I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> um, but we had about nine people in what you would call a year. We would call them in a class in a form. We had 350 children in my year in secondary there school. There you go. There were 1,796. Don't ask me why I remember that stat, but 1,796 pupils attended Sedgill School when I was at school. Wow, you like numbers though. I, I think I, that's, I think my, <laughs> my affection with stats probably yeah. was um, riding around in there at that point in time. So to put that into comparison there, yeah, 100 people in the school against 1,796. Well, compare that to nine to ten pupils in one class, which makes the year. Wow. I know. Wow. So to be taken out of that, literally plucked out of that dramatically. Yeah. And put into a school that would be the opposite, the antithesis of that. Yeah. And wouldn't have the, I expect, the same structure, the same interest from teachers, perhaps. Maybe they'd have the interest, but the institution didn't allow them to execute yeah. it. Um, all those different things. I could be a different person now. I think yeah. you probably would do. <laughs> I think you probably would do. Because that's quite dramatic. It is, and it sort of underlines the overall sense of gratefulness that I get from, that oh, I get from you whenever I, bump, whenever I... It's, it's whenever I interact with you, you're sort of <laughs> left with this zen feeling of okay the world's okay no, and i think that i think it, i'm as i'm talking to you here and as we're going through these 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 elements of your past so thank you for sharing mm -hmm. it's it's allowing you to really understand what makes you mm. and that that we'll call it an olive branch for lack of a better phrase at that point in time i think has always resonated with you and you can see it and yeah i, th I think it's that thing of um of kindness yes of kindness and empathy and my headmistress was running a school the school's a business yeah it's not a charity and whether it's discretionary or not because the buck stops with her she didn't have to do that no she didn't she could have been very much in her head not in her heart and just said well i'm sorry if you can't pay the fees for the next x amount then get out 
she needs to go. <laughs> she got to go. Um, but she didn't. And she, you know, she allowed me to stay there and to learn and to be a part of the school. And they kept that from me. So it wasn't as if I was, oh, thank you very much, headmistress, for having me. It wasn't any of that. I didn't know anything about it. Wow. I was just a child just getting on with it. Wow. I know. Um, and I think, you know, within, within that school, I was really fortunate to have elocution lessons. And I think elocution lessons uh, really supported the communication that had been formed from nursery. Because you built amazing confidence in the sound of your own voice, in your own articulation, in self-expression, in talking in front of people, in owning your own. And when you went into that room where you had Mrs. Capes, who was our elocution okay. teacher, and you would go in and there would be some prose that you had to read. There'd be something that you needed to read. And there'll be a, a smallish room, but you wouldn't be right in front of her. You wouldn't be sitting down with her. She'd be in her chair. You'd be right at the other end of the room. Okay. And you'd have the prose, which would be part of a book or something. And you would need to read it. And she would go through with you the way to articulate it and express it and how to be standing and when to be kind of sheepish about it, when to express and be bold, when to go really calm and loving, when to be really vibrant within the whole context of it. So you started to understand language yeah. and the rhythm of it and the vibration of it and the feeling that it gives you when you use your voice. And for me, I, I loved every elocution lesson. You can really tell that in, in how you speak, but it, it's it's funny. I, mean, I obviously we've got a young, very very young child at the moment, and I absolutely detest it when people try and talk to me in baby language. <laughs> it really it really does wind me up. If you ask Karen, it's my absolute number one pet hate because when I talk to him, I talk to him like he's an adult. Yeah, and. When people see videos of me interacting with him, they're, they're like, "Oh, it's almost like he's trying to, he's trying to, he's trying to have a, he's having a conversation with you." And I said to him, "But he is, in his own way." And I make the story up as we're going along, so the conversation flows out. The conversation naturally would, but now he understands, as you put it, the rhythm of conversation. Yeah. You know, the art of literally giving someone enough space to respond, and then mm -hmm. finding out when you respond yourself. Mm -hmm. He's three months old, and he gets that. Mm -hmm. You know, actually, I, I think that actually when we talk about the art of communication, what we actually say verbally is in the words that we use. Mm. It only represents about 10 to 15 percent. I think I read somewhere of actually what we're actually saying. Yeah. You know? yeah. So I think that any other thing, my sister, who is there are so many, so many that significant bits between you, you and her, you know, when I hear you talk and I hear her talk, there are very, there's a lot of similarities in between there. And I remember just over the years of her pulling my, my eldest, she's now 19, up for using street language or shortening words and this and it was never allowed in our house. Um, I think there's a real, in, as we've moved through into a text generation and we've sort of left the art of conversation behind, I think that we were starting to lose something in our ability to communicate amongst each other. We are. Thich Nhat Hanh talks about the art of communication in his book. And the biggest thing that he uh, does his best to put on you to help you realise is that the art of communication is about listening. Yeah. It's about really connecting with that person that you are sharing space, sharing energy with. And completely, not just through the words that they're saying, but through the whole energy, the yeah. whole vibe, getting what it is. Sometimes you have to read between the lines. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and in my profession as a coach, sometimes that's what happens is you pick up stuff energetically. They say one thing, but you can feel that actually they mean something else. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's sort of an intuition. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the ability to... Re- I think the ability to read other people comes from your ability to read yourself. Completely. You know? And I don't... I, we touched on the whole the, the whole term being selfish um, right early on in this in this in this this sort of um, conversation here, um, and I don't think it's actually selfish at all to spend time getting to know who you are, as long as you're, as long as the point of it is so you become a better version of yourself. I always, um, I've always said it's a bit like when you find a, a new best friend, yeah, you want to know as much about them as possible. And you, whether that's asking questions, how do you do your hair? Or, you know, what, 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 <laughs> if you're a girl, of course, you know, how, 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 you know, what shoes do you like? Do you like this group? Do, do, you yeah. want to ask all these questions. That curiosity is that foundation of creativity. Yeah. And so I think if we can take that analogy and apply it to ourselves and constantly be curious about ourselves, all the time, never complacent, never taking ourselves for granted, and never thinking that where we are is enough. Yeah. We could always move further forwards. And what would it look like if we did? A lot better. I'm glad you used the word consistently. And it's some, not consistently, constantly. Because it is something you need to do. I mean, I, if you, I, I asked this to someone the other day, and I said to him, are you the same person that you were 10 years ago? And he went, well, of course not. It's me, Ralph. So why would you expect yourself to react in the same way? Why would you choose to do something that that you that's attached to someone that you you no longer are? You're an evolved person through of that person, yeah. but you've got to learn who you are again. Your likes, your dislikes, the same people that were in your life back ten years ago aren't the same people that are there now. So it stands to reason that you won't be the same person either. No, completely. Joe Dispenza, new neuroscientist, he talks very much about being in the past most of our lives. Yeah. We wake up in the morning, you're thinking about something that happened to you yesterday or in your childhood or last week at work, and that starts to dictate how you then get out of bed. You start to just feel really rubbish because of the argument you had with your husband yesterday, for example. Yeah. Um, and it's a brand new day. And he's suggesting, what if we actually got out of bed pause the button on the past, it's there, it happened, and create our future. Yeah. Yeah, and, and realise that we have that power to do whatever it is we want to do with Absolutely. our future, with the now which leads Absolutely. into the future. And that, of course, will change all of the energy that flows through your body and reduce disease, reduce yes. um, negative um, mental capacities etc because we're thinking in a higher vibration straight away yeah. the minute we open our eyes and come out of our subconscious yeah and consider each day an opportunity to um let's go back a go a little back a little bit actually here yeah. i think a lot of people see a new day as an opportunity to restart or redo or do over and they miss the opportunity that was, that's been given to you in the start of a new day because it's the start of something new you know and you can therefore then take your new perspective on things and go right whatever happened yesterday is what happened yesterday yeah. today is what i'm going to do and this is what i'm going to do today yeah. you know and when you say as you said when you start on from that kind of vibration the world's your oyster it really is yeah so 
Where where are we now up to? So we've we're so past. We're, we're we're past I keep going back to the the, the nappies. We've finished changing nappies. <laughs> we're, yeah, we're on past the twelve year old stage. It's because you got a bobby. That's why. I know. That's why I'm staring at them <laughs> over there. You know. So what happened next? So I think we're about sixteen now. Yeah. Oh well, I mean sixteen. I don't know what the hell I want to do at sixteen. Who I does? <laughs> I mean sixteen. Ah, uh, so we had a careers teacher. It was an external person, so they must have outsourced her. We went yeah. to this place outside of our school. And it was, okay, so what do you want to do? And I said, I want to be a teacher. Okay. And they said, mm, well, I wouldn't bother with that, to be honest. Why? And they said, well, by the time you graduate with everything that it is you need to train to be, they won't be having teachers. They won't need teachers. It'll all be computerized. And you will be redundant. Wow. And so I, I really wouldn't bother. I mean, what else do you want to do? Hold so on. This, this is a, oh, sorry. No, I've got to get my head around this. This is someone that's employed to teach people about careers. In other words, to encourage people to follow their passions. Because let's face it, as we cross over and we're still in that, we're not quite a child, but we're not quite an adult sort of stage called being a teenager. Your imagination is still well and truly in gear. So you're looking at going around, well, I really want to become a teacher. And she goes, mm, well, no. Completely. <laughs> Completely. Fantastic. And, and everything that I had done um, from being at that secondary school from 11 to 16, there had been a process of wanting to support other people, wanting to help them learn. I had been uh, awarded head girl of the school, which was great. You know, I had that leadership already honoured to me. It was something that I knew I wanted to do. Yeah. So I went in with this, right, I'm going to be a teacher. How do I be a teacher? Tell me, tell me. And she just burst my bubble big time. And I left there so deflated and wondering, what the hell am I going to do? I can't be a wow. teacher. So what else is there? And I hadn't thought of anything else because there was a natural desire. Yeah. All of those things that I had, that had been created with me, for me, around me, by me, had turned into this word teacher yeah yeah and influenced by people who had taught me who i loved the way that they had assisted me in growing etc i wanted to do that for someone else now i've got this word teacher that's just been literally on a piece of paper ripped up and thrown away yeah and i had nothing you know i think that we bump into that careers teacher in several different forms throughout the course of our lives and if some of them actually live in your houses some of them are your other half some of them are your bosses at, bosses at work some of them are your cousins your friends whoever people that are leading with their pain people that are advising you based on what's happened to them mm. whatever happened to that careers teacher at some point in time that caused her to just literally take a pin to that bubble i think you need you there's a there's an age-old phrase out there that people be, beware of the naysayers mm. you know and that definitely is a situation that falls into into that bracket you've you've got to defend your dreams mm. you've got to defend your dreams you know fortunately although i'm sure that 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 pinprick <laughs> that pinprick would be careful while we say that that pinprick burst your bubble at the point but that point in time will cause some discomfort but i'm glad it didn't completely sway you well i think there is something to be said about destiny about something bigger and greater than us, whatever, mm. whoever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, and so I, I left school and I went to college. I went to a, a college that was 
the complete antithesis of my school. I mean, it was such a culture shock. It was scary. Wow. Um, I, I, but there were, they would literally talk about my voice, about the way I spoke. Yeah. About the way I held myself, about the way I looked, because I hadn't been brought up like them. Yeah. Um, and there was such a big gap between us. Uh, and of course, the impression was that I thought I was better than them. Okay. Yeah. So. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Just because of the way I spoke and the way I held myself and the values and the views that I had and my thoughts yeah. and so on, I didn't necessarily, I didn't share these types of things to them. It was just something they had decided a perception. Yeah. Um, and as we all do, prejudge a prejudice. Yeah. So um, so, college. Uh, in the first year, luckily, my good friend, who's still my best friend now, um, when she left school, she also... Oh, actually, she came in the second year. That's not true. So the first year, I was still trying to find my identity. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting what we do um, because I, I, one of the things I wanted to say early, earlier was this thing about humans having basic needs. Yeah. Six human needs. And one is certainty, another is uncertainty, another is significance, and another connection and love and growth and contribution. Yeah. So because of those six needs, somewhere within that college environment, you know, I was looking for acceptance and certainty and significance. I wanted to be seen yeah. as a person, an individual. And um, yeah, it's amazing what we do when it's an instinct to do. So... I would hang around with girls who were really loud and raucous and I became loud and raucous. <laughs> um, I, I literally moulded into them to be accepted. Yeah. Um, I started swearing. Um, I never swore before. And I would swear every second sentence was a swear word. Why? I don't know. It's just a form of expression. <laughs> um, and uh, I, I, what else? Uh, but it was just about wanting to be part of a gang. And this was a completely new environment to me. I'd never had anything like this before. So I was making it up as I went along. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I was with them for the first year. I stayed at college for two years. And then the second year, my good friend, she left school. And she decided she wanted to go to same college. And um, it was really lovely to have her there. Yeah. And a couple of other friends, etc. And there was more of a kinship in my second year. Mm -hmm. Because there were people who got me and related to yeah. me and so on. Um, so now I'm about 17. I didn't finish college in the second year because this work ethic that I had created when I was 12 came back. And this desire to, I think, just sort of earn some money and be independent yeah. was what I wanted to do. So to do that, I left college and I, I was actually working part-time in Wandsworth, Town, Wandsworth um, Arndale Centre, which is what it was at the time. It's Southside now. Okay. And there was a pizza place there. And I somehow got a job part-time um, in the pizza, making pizzas. I'm trying to imagine you working pizza, <laughs> making, making pizzas, pizzas now, yeah. Yeah, from the, the dough and <laughs> putting the tomato paste on. And then, what, what topping would you like? And then putting the sweet corn, mushrooms. And then Why are you so oven. excited? Because <laughs> I love food. And there you go. <laughs> You're making me so, hungry. I had pizza yesterday and yeah, I'm still paying too. for it now. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, I did that. And I really 
enjoyed the fact that I got some money at the end of it. Yeah. I was independent. Um, and I wasn't actually going to a, a space where I was just sort of told to sit down and had to learn. I think I just had enough of learning for whatever reason. So I, I, I jacked in college and went there full time. And I, can you believe that? It's like I can, <laughs> I can actually. I mean, it, when you're forced, when you're a, when you're a creative individual and you're forced to conform, part of you is almost like put out to pasture you know it's very it's very difficult to bloom in an environment where everything's in straight lines and grids and what have you you know so i can i can see that i can understand how how that happened and i can also understand how the pizza job caught created so much joy (laughs) because it was you in charge of you and i think probably after having a year of having to conform with something that was completely against everything that you stood for and have been raised for and now being in a position where you're going right well i've kind of had enough of that because i haven't really got anything back from it that was of significance to me I can see where the entrepreneurial bit, and I'll use that word entrepreneurial because I think a lot of people misunderstand being an entrepreneur as, as means that I have to have my own business. Mm. Um, you can be an entrepreneur by having a job, believe it or not. It's just you taking control, you making decisions for you and not based on your circumstance or environment. I can see how that's kicked in and you've gone, right, well, I've had enough now. I'm going to go and do this. Yeah, completely. And it's interesting that you say that because my mum, worked nine to five in a bank and it was very nine to five in a bank mm. she left home at x time she got home at x <laughs> time it was very very um rigid in that yeah. way and i just remember the, the commitment she gave to work or the commitment she felt that she needed to give to work where her life evolved around work yeah and i made that decision that i wouldn't ever do that um, and I, I remember her you know getting ready for work on a sunday evening getting ready on a Sunday evening, but works the next day. Yeah. And it would would be that thing of, you know, of of course, you know, I, um, I had nothing negative or thoughts about, about that situation. But in hindsight, when I looked back, when I look back and I think of, of the things that I was thinking at the time, I just remember thinking, it wasn't about her, it was just about, I don't want to be, I saw it kind of like a, a slave to someone else or earning someone else's living. Um, uh, building someone else's wallet. Yep. Yeah, you know, and I realised that I didn't want that. So um, yeah, so I, I left um, college and I, I went to uh, work in the pizza place, and I really loved it because if you think of the old Arndale Centre, we were in an area where we had a, a little uh, what do you um, oh what do you call them uh, the the bits that you hire out in um, uh, lot like yeah. a lot yeah uh, and. In the middle, think of, a, think of a square, yeah, and there were little lots of businesses around, like yeah. a food court, and in the middle was just empty space, maybe a table and people. Neat. So it was always very social, always people walking through, mums, dads, kids, you know, dogs, whatever it was. <laughs> there was always something happening, and I really thrived on that. Wow. So uh, I I left there, and then I kind of roamed around for a while, and ended up on a, I ended up on many business courses because I think the government was doing stuff that allowed you to sign on and also when you signed on you had to do something that demonstrated you're either trying to do something for yourself yes. or you were going into work or etc mm-hmm. so they had these business plan courses I think I did about three or four of them yeah uh, throughout the time <laughs> just to legitimize it yeah and um and then um I had the opportunity to do a music a radio broadcasting course 
which is kind of part of that signing on thingy. Yeah. Um, and I loved it. I mean, that's so old school when I think about it. We were splicing. We had, you know, we had tape and you literally had to, splicing is to cut the tape yeah. and then to re-tape it together once you've edited it. Splice out what you don't want, put it back together, put it back on the two reels and then press play. Right, I'm going to pause you here. For those of you that are young millennials out there that are, that are listening to this, um, yeah, that a tape is what we used to record stuff on, <laughs> <laughs> whether that be video or <laughs> or otherwise. You know, it's 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 funny. I'm, my mum's still got an old SVHS player, right. so I showed my son an SVHS cassette a little while ago, and this child fell off his chair laughing his head off. He goes, what do you mean you have to fast forward and rewind to get to the point that you want to see? Why can't, you just, why can't you just go there? And he was wetting himself. And then when I said to him at the end that it was common courtesy, really, to and those of you that are of my age group and above will understand, to rewind the tape when you'd finished watching it so that then the other person yes. could start from the beginning Completely. and didn't have to rewind it themselves. This child seriously had tears rolling down his face because he was like, you had to do what? He just didn't get it because he comes from that era of... I can choose what what chapter I want to watch yeah. based on a DVD. Even DVD DVDs to him are a bit alien because mm-hmm. everything's streamed. Mm-hmm. So yeah, for those of you that are, that are too young to understand what <laughs> what a tape is, that's the, it's a magnetic magnetic piece of material <laughs> that we used to record record stuff on. It's exactly that, and this was a reel. It wasn't yeah. even within a tape. So the case is like what makes the tape. Yeah. These were just the magnetic strips of 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 magnetic strips yeah that you would put on a contraption and press press play <laughs> and it would turn it around which would mean it would go forwards and round yeah. forwards and round and create the sound yeah, yeah. um and if there was an ed- edit in there that you wanted you'd find the edit get your white pe- white um pencil mark, mark it, it and then c- splice it with a what you could like a standing knife yeah. a small one yeah and then you have a tape to bring it back together again I mean, it really is the basic version of the movie, uh, of the audio, um, yep. Audacity, etc. Yep. That, 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 you know, we edit on now. Um, so I was fortunate enough to do that. I did a radio broadcasting course and did the journalism with it and interviewing and all that sort of stuff. And also some TV stuff. We did the filming, understood the filming process yeah. and that. Um, and loved it. I was like, shoot, I really like that. Oh, this is good. <laughs> and um, and I got some voiceover work from it from one of the guys who then ended up working um, off of Queenstown Road on that complex there where they do lots of filming. Okay. And he came to me and said, "Hey, we need to do we need a voice for I think it was uh, uh, Lint. It was for Lint Chopper. Okay. And it was for the grocers. Okay. And it was just a, an audio and advert. I thought you were going to tell me you like you were in the voice of the man from Milk Tray or something. No, uh, no, no. <laughs> And say, so show me that tape. I'll put it in there. No, um, so so that was that was really good, and so that was where I started to get my flavour for using my voice for not for more than just talking. Yeah, um, but I didn't realise that at the time. You know, I just liked it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought it was cool and nice, and I had fun with it. Um, and then I think we're now about uh, seven. I think still at seventeen. I got a job at a stationery store in Ballon. This is a full-time job. You know, I wasn't doing anything with my time, yeah. you know? So I had to get a full-time job. Oh, man, I despised it. It was so <laughs> challenging to get up in the morning. I was always late, 
always late. Yeah. And it was just so boring. Remittance advice slips, picking up the phone and taking orders for post-it notes and blue tack and stuff. And then you'd go home at five, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, and one hour for lunch. And if you're lucky, 15-minute break in the morning, 15-minute break in the afternoon. I mean, it was an absolute nightmare for me because I didn't like to be confined in that way. Yeah. And um, however, I'm really glad I did it. Because I think that we do need to have the antithesis of what we are sometimes to appreciate what we are. And it really uh, assisted me in understanding the format of uh, concise employment. Yeah. Of being in a workplace, what the expectations are. So that I could play it if I wanted to. Even if I didn't like it and I needed to step into that, that space and earn some money. I was proficient enough to do that and play the role, but it's not really what I wanted to do. <laughs> and that's what ended up happening. You know, I eventually I left Presley Services and I can't remember what I did after that, but I ended up, you know, temping. I ended up teaching myself to type so I could do secretarial stuff, touch typing, um, a, a little bit of shorthand that my mum taught me. Yeah. I ended up um, being a secretary, being a PA for a while, working in ad agencies. And uh, this sort of went on for a bit, doing jobs that were just kind of, they just put some money in the pocket. But it's like, what do you want to do with your life, girl? It was that kind of thing. So when did you find that out? I think, um, I don't think it was until I was at least about 24. So before that, I, this is a thing I think about understanding your own emotional intelligence, understanding your own self. Yeah. Um, I sort of fell into a relationship. When yeah. I say fell into, um, <laughs> <laughs> a guy at college like me, meet me at McDonald's in Wandsworth. He took, he took about four hours to turn up because I didn't know any different. I waited. Yeah, yeah. Okay. advice to your younger self yes. get the hell out of there yeah. but you know in hindsight you don't know at yeah. the time um, and we started seeing each other first boyfriend not really having the experience with the opposite sex not having my father around as well yeah having those different influences mum being at work most of the time so not really having that intimate relationship with her to be able to ask questions or feel comfortable enough yeah. to ask questions. So there was all of that going on and we were together about four and a half years and it wasn't a positive relationship. You know, he was a manipulator, but because I allowed him to manipulate me, because I didn't know that there could be a different way, because I didn't yeah. understand what it was he was doing, because I didn't get my own emotions and desires. So... All of that process, I think, it's, that's why I think it's really important for young girls to be able to talk to someone who is more mature than them uh, when they're going through different uh, emotional experiences yeah. and to have role models around them to see how things can be done differently. And I didn't have anybody around me who was demonstrating how a relationship worked. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I honestly thought that when you had an argument in a relationship, and I look back at it, I think, crikey, when you have an argument in a relationship, it means that you're kind of done, that's it, it's all over. 
I didn't really appreciate that that's just part of the connection and the communication yeah. and the energy and the disagreement and you're not the same and all of that stuff. So it used to really upset me when we would argue because it'd be like, oh my gosh, this is it. It's all over. And you know, where do you go from catastrophe. here? Catastrophe. Yeah, catastrophe. <laughs> so, so my emotional intelligence wasn't wasn't good at all and I don't think I actually developed that until I was in my 30s to be honest you know through just teaching myself teaching myself to get out of the relationship um, creating an exit strategy waking up one day and just deciding that I don't want to be in this relationship anymore and making that decision and from that decision well okay if you don't want to be here where do you want to be somewhere yeah. else and how are you going to make that happen and so making a 12 year 12 month plan to exit the relationship and eventually exiting it and oh my gosh freedom <laughs> <laughs> suddenly you know i was this 21 year old or 22 year old who didn't have a partner who had lost contact with her best friend because of this partner yeah um because it's embarrassing so you distance yourself yes um um, I'd lost contact with my, my, my dad and my mum sort of thing because it's embarrassing and you don't want them to say things to you that you're going to have to be like, oh, yeah. and have to step up to defend. defend, exactly. So I had become quite isolated. And um, when I moved away from the relationship and grew my own strength, doing things that I realised I wanted to do, even if my, the partner I was with at the time would say those things that you were talking about earlier, that person who is the careers advice is in your household. Yep. You know, oh, you can't do that. You're nothing without me. Um, why would you want to do that? You can't even do X, Y, and Z. All these things that kind of bring yeah. you down and make you question yourself. I started to rise above those. And the great thing about taking action, coming out of your head and just following your heart, is that you start to teach your brain that when I do X, it turns into Y, which is a positive outcome. Yeah. And then when you see the positive outcome and you see how you feel about it and what it gets for you, you want to do it again and you want to do it again and you want to do it again until you become that positive person. Yeah. And that's what happened to me. I started to do things that I wanted to do, that I wanted to create, that I wanted to develop within myself. And I started to realize that actually, gosh, I can do this and I can do that. And, you know, <laughs> it was just amazing. So we broke up and um, uh, I, I then um, spent, I think, the last, the next three, three and a half years absolutely living the dream of a single girl, single woman, going yeah. out clubbing, um, you know, dating, um, getting up when I want, going to bed when I want, just all the little things that you suddenly realize that they, you, sh you shouldn't be taking them for granted. They're just, if you're in a relationship where you feel confined, they become something that you don't get and don't have for yeah. whatever reason. Yeah. When you come out of it, you suddenly realize you have no one else to think about but yourself. Yeah. And that is an amazing thing. And you find out how liberating that thought process is. Completely. And so I was just doing everything and anything that I wanted to do. And I wasn't being made to feel selfish because I was thinking of myself. Yeah. Um, so the, le the next three or four years, that's how it was. And then I, I knew that I wanted to do something to do with fitness. I really okay. enjoyed fitness because I was, I was doing stuff, um, a bit of weights and a bit of um, cardio and a bit of circuit class here and there. <laughs> and I really liked it and it was social and I was building friendships and it was a really great way to connect to my body as well, which yeah. I've lost connection with in, from the past five years. 
So I started doing those things and I went to a class and there's a teacher there and he would turn up in Covent Garden. He would turn up every Saturday and he'd either be hungover, he'd have just had a fag before he comes in. Nice. And he would just look as though he kind of wanted to be somewhere else. And I remember thinking, because he didn't do the class with us, he just yelled at us, the okay. circuit class, you know. And I remember thinking, I could so do that. I could so do that in a, I, I must have said in my head at the time, a better way. Yeah. Yeah, I could so do that in a better way, but I didn't mean it in an egotistical way. Um, and well, no, you meant it in a factual way. <laughs> yeah, factual yeah, way. You're, you're rubbish, man. Yeah. <laughs> But then people have stayed in the job way, way, way Way too too long. long. Exactly. And that was the spark of my desire to go into, at that time, the fitness industry. And I embarked on YMCA, Exercise to Music in the Studio. Awesome. Yes. And I did my anatomy and physiology, which you have to have as well. (laughs) And and I qualified in in those uh, first time, which I was so pleased about. And... I got offered a job, literally, I think it must have been within two weeks teaching at Tooting Leisure Centre on a Sunday morning. And I jumped at the opportunity. I was terrified because I hadn't taught a class, even yeah. demo it. But I knew that it's what I wanted to do. Got my music all set up and sorted with my RPMs, you know, ripped a minute and the, the rhythm from it. And all that stuff, it was just the best. Did my choreography and um, turned up at the class and started teaching and again that was an impetus for me to think i love this yeah oh my goodness and at the same time i uh, that was at the same time uh, i was working at a advertising agency okay and um and i was working alongside one of the product managers so i was his assistant and i knew actually that that wasn't what i wanted to do and I remember walking to the station one time, this is in central London, and him saying, you know, so what, what, where are you going with it? Like, just having an open chat, where are you going? And I said, I'm not sure, actually. I don't know if I want to be here anymore. And he said, actually, I could see you doing a, a degree or something. I said, really? I was thinking, me studying again? Oh, I don't know. And that, again, sparked something. Yeah. I suddenly thought, oh. And so, you know, give or take six months a year, I went off and did my um, Bachelor of Science in Health, health Science. Wow. Um, did my degree, moved out, literally sold my car, um, moved out of the house I was sharing, uh, got rid of everything that was my possession, put whatever I wanted to keep back at mum's and went to live in Chichester. Bogner okay. Regis. Massive uh, change. Yes, massive, massive change because Bogner Regis is like where the elderly go to die. Yeah. You know, it, it, it really, has that type it has of, that that kind of it, yeah. thing. Yeah. So, um, young person there, because it was a, a university area, they brought a bit of life to it. Yeah. And then Chichester was the city where my uni was in. So, you get a little shuttle bus that take you there to, every day. So, I did my three years there and I came back and I thought, <clears throat> I don't want to do anything to do with health. I don't know for how long, but I don't want it right now. <laughs> I was all healthed out in every way. And um, what had happened was whilst I was coming home every summer, one of the ladies I had tempted for, she was moving around in different director roles. And she would ask me if I'd like to work with her in the summer. And that was great because of the income whilst I was yeah. you know, away from uni. And uh, when I graduated, she told me about a role in a, um, a music production company. 
where they're looking for a production assistant and I thought of you and would you like the role? Would you like to go for the, the yeah. interview? And I said, yeah, okay. So I went for the interview, loved what I heard, obviously connected because they hired me. Yeah. And that was my stint in uh, music production. Um, I was there for uh, about six years and I loved it. Yeah. Um, and then ended up working as a production coordinator with the production manager. We brought amazing jazz world artists over, uh, put them on at Barbican, South Bank, uh, Jazz Cafe, Ronnie Scott. Wow. I mean, it was, it was amazing. And you were able to connect with all of these um, wonderful musicians, technicians in their craft, who were so experienced, you know, Sonny Rollins playing the piano, being around him. He's a legend if you yeah. know jazz, you know. So I really, really loved it. But it was long hours. And if you're getting up at five to then do a meet and greet for them to come in at six, and then you've got to make sure that everything is okay with the work permits and they get out and get to the hotel and then they're settled in and you got to go to the actual venue and do the sound check with them, all this stuff. By the time the show was on and the time the show finished, <laughs> it was Been midnight. Up for two days. Yeah, completely. Yeah. And what I realized was I really enjoyed what I was doing, but I didn't have that zest and passion for it when the chips were down. Okay. And I was just tired. Yeah. I just wanted to go back to bed. But I knew I'd had a passion that had been ignited for the fitness side. And I envisioned that when I was tired with that, I'd find the energy to yeah. keep going. So that sparked something. And I started to question my role within the company, where I could go within it, looking at the future. Couldn't go really far, apart from becoming a production manager. Did I want to? Not really. And then I thought, well, what do I want? And what I wanted was to have more of what I had on a Sunday morning. Right. Was that teaching. Teaching the fitness class. So I ruminated about it for a while, uh, made some plans, saved some money with a monthly salary, and then talked to my boss and just said, um, I'm resigning and I explained to him and he completely understood. It was a real sad moment, of course. I'd been there a while. And I knew that I wanted to give up and go and be a part of the fitness industry. I had no idea what it looked like. I just knew that's what I wanted. And I had about three months salary grace and I thought, right, let's just see what happens. Yeah. And so I gave it up at the end of the year and in the new year it began. I thought, God, I haven't got a job to go to. Crikey. But I'd already, whilst I was working in that month's notice, done a little... I didn't have any experience in the fitness industry apart from my teaching. So I had gone to different health clubs and whatever they were. There weren't many health clubs at the time. There were more leisure centres. Yeah. I'd gone to many leisure centres and just said, hey, this is me. This is what I'm looking to do. Would you hire me? And one of the, the CV variations with not much on it that I gave in was at Brixton Rec. Okay. And I got a call two weeks into the new year. Hey, got your CV. Would you like to come in for a chat? Wow. Oh, yes. So I went in, got the job, and ended up working downstairs at Heavy Harper's. And I mean, this is back in the day when Brixton Rec had the bowling green downstairs. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't even know, I haven't been at Brixton Rec for ages. I didn't know if they still got it. I don't think had, so. <laughs> okay. They had the bowling green downstairs and they had, um, oh, what do you call what those um, insects that you have um, a lot in like council flats and projects in America that always took cockroaches. cockroaches. That's it. Loads of cockroaches. Wow. All over. But they, they did their best to try and, yeah. you know, but you always were going to find a cockroach. And they had this 
room that wasn't that big that had pure like it was testosterone led it was men no women who had come out of prison who had done exercise in prison and yeah. now had found something that was more or less replicating what they had experienced in prison everything was raw the floor was dirty mm. yeah you know um, it, it was a real sort of male environment nothing no place for a lady you know? <laughs> 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 but, um, <laughs> elocution lesson came back real yeah, quick exactly. then but i didn't care because i wanted to be in that environment i've had to put my chuckies on my, my um, trainers on my top on and i would go in there and i would sit there and all they wanted me to do was just oversee put the weights back make sure everything was okay i was doing my uh, fitness qualifications part-time so this is a perfect job because i could actually study yeah and I was doing everything that I needed to do for my um, sort of fitness career through a study perspective, you know. And um, I, I really loved it. And of course, when you spend time in any environment, you get to know the people who come in and out. And so I just connected with them, made friends with them. And it was just one big happy family after yeah. a year and a half, you know. I loved my shift. And I wanted to be there. Yeah. Um, and then someone told me that Fitness First in Clapham Junction, this is the flagship, this is when they just started, um, we're looking for fitness instructors, you should go for it. Really? Okay. So I went for an interview, got the job, and within a year was told that I need to go for an interview to be fitness manager of the new Ballum that's yeah. opening up. So I went to run the, the fitness floor in the Ballum one, and then five years later of that, uh, I got a job at Virgin Active in when it first opened up in Wandsworth and was the manager there. Didn't like that at all because it took me away from the people. Yeah. I was in an office, I was doing payroll, I was doing all sorts of paperwork and I had about 25 people underneath me who were my eyes and my ears and I hated it. Yeah. You know? um, and even though I had people who worked with me um, or you know, as my instructors at Fitness First, I was there with them. So um, I left there and there was one person who I used to connect with. You weren't allowed to go onto the gym floor. And when I was on the gym floor, I, I would pretend I was going to the bathroom. Yeah. So I could just talk to people. And when I would talk, there was a guy there who I just sort of assist with and then rush scurry off. Anyway, when I left, I got a phone call from him. I haven't seen you for a while. I asked for your number. Um, I hope you don't mind. I'm calling because I'm a ballet teacher at a performing arts school. And we're looking for someone who could just set up a sort of fitness space within our school. Yeah. I thought of you. Would you be interested? Do you want to come and see our head of dance and wow. talk about it? And I said, yes, please. Opportunity comes rising it out does of it? nothing. And, I'm, and I went and saw him and got on like a house on fire with the head of dance. He hired me on the spot and I was there for four years. And that sparked and reminded me how much I loved all things to do with creativity and dancing and singing. I completely forgot that I used to go to performing arts school. I completely forgot that I used to go to auditions at five in the morning, summer school for drama. Wow. I had lost all of that. And being in this wonderful space where when you walk into the performing arts school, you've got a room, la 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 la, and you've got another one, and five, and six, and seven, and eight, <laughs> and then you've got another one, and back straight, and up, and down. You've got all this stuff going on, yeah. a cacophony of different sounds and energies. And I was just in my element. I was like, oh my God. So I was there for about six years, and I decided that 
if I wanted to work with these performers, which I was really enjoying doing, mm. but I was doing it from a, a, a quite a extrinsic perspective because I wasn't a dancer. Um, I, even though I enjoyed performing, I yeah. hadn't done it professionally to experience it in that way. And they were training to be that type of person, three-year degree course. Yeah. And I, I, I realized by the end of it that I had sort of extinguished all the books. I had extinguished the time that I could have with them to be able to find out what was going on with them. I kind of needed more if I wanted to take this to the next level. And that's when I decided, okay, I'm going to train to become a dancer. Because for me, in order for me to work with the performer, mm -hmm. I have to feel it. Yeah. So I then took five years out. I left the job, uh, did ballet, Molly College part-time, then went to Lewisham College for two years, then went to um, Laban in Deptford Contemporary uh -huh. Conservatoire uh, for a year and left there. Um, as a, a trained dancer and a trained dancer that could teach in the community. And so I taught dance for a year and a half and um, loved it. But it, it wasn't really what I wanted to do, in yeah. all honesty. You know, I kind of embarked on this journey in order to learn so much about myself and the body and dance and performing so that I could then work out how I could support that person. Yeah. So I'd got to that point now where I was teaching it and it, I think you just need to have been doing that from day dot or at least an early age to be able to just do choreography on the bus, to be able to, you know, hear the music and say, right, this is what the movements are going to be. I didn't have that connection with it. So creating choreography, as much as I loved it, it took time. Yeah. And I had to create time. Whereas at the same time I was teaching Pilates, I'd gone through my whole career of fitness now. I was coming more into sort of health and well-being. Yeah. And I was teaching Pilates now, which I adored. And I could, I could construct a Pilates session plan on a bus, no problem, you know, my eyes closed. If, if things had gone a bit askew and I hadn't had time to plan it, I could do that yeah. and make sure the class went well. Um, and so I was also dabbling in yoga. I was wondering whether or not I wanted to take on yoga, whether I wanted it to be a part of my life immersion, immersively. And it took me about a year to decide that yes, I do. So I then started taking yoga qualifications and um, which com I took three and the last one was when I went to India and I spent six weeks there um, so up leveling my, my yoga um, and loving every minute of it. Came back and set up my yoga business, yoga and Pilates yeah. business. And then from there, I uh, stopped teaching Pilates and just did yoga. So I had my yoga business mm -hmm. and then um, did my senior yoga teacher training as well um, and just added on qualifications. And what was starting to happen is whilst I was teaching on the mat, people were coming to me at the end of the class and asking me, do you know anybody who I can talk to? Because things have come up during the session that we've just done, yeah. and I, I'm not quite sure how to deal with it. And so I would say to them, I'm so sorry, but I don't. Um, and they would say, oh, I thought it was gonna be you. And I would say, oh, um, I'm really sorry, I, you know, and that's where it would be. Yeah. And so as time went on, I started to think, well, hold on a minute. It can be me. What do it I need to be. do to be able to do that? And I realized that to be a, they call it a coach. That's what I realized. Yeah. And to be a coach, ideally you should be qualified. Coaches aren't are. qualified. There are coaches out there, you know, professionally who do not have an accreditation. They haven't gone through training, but they, you know, in, in an ideal world, in order to have a structure, um, they say that you should be qualified. And of course, I wanted to I wanted to learn. It wasn't about, oh, I need to have a qualification. 
it was that I want to learn a real structural way to be able to do this so that I can then create my own way. Yeah. I want a foundation to spring from. And so I embarked on my training. You ever watch Billions? Yes. Right. You know Wendy, the psychologist in there? Yeah. She was the one who sparked that journey of thinking you need to just do this. Because I'd watch her in the company and she's part of a faculty and I'd watch her support each of those individuals for whatever reason. It was very much about performance led stuff. But I, the essence of it that I got was I loved the idea of being a part of a team, a group where you could really be that go to person. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it was a sense of security for everybody else knowing that you were there and you were so proficient at what you did that you could support them. Yeah. And I loved that idea. And I was like, OK, well, what do we need to do to make this happen? <laughs> and that's when I started on my coaching journey, which is about five years ago. And, and now we have Nicolette the coach. And now we have Nicolette the coach. And along that journey, I started working with everybody because you do when you first start. Then I worked with women entrepreneurs because I loved working with yeah. them. Um, but undercurrenting all of that was my desire and passion to work with creatives. And I couldn't see how I could get involved with the creative individual. So I was just doing everything else on surface level, just to have income, just to make it happen. But I was working out how I can get into that space with the creative. And I was fortunate enough to um, start working with an amazing music artist two year, a year ago um, through me putting it out there to someone else and saying, I think what I need is I need someone who would like to work with me to develop where they're at and have something that they want to focus on. And it just so happened that that person knew someone and referred me to them. And when I put the proposal to them, they were like, yeah, I would love to work with you. And so I'm still working with him to this day. And he's a solo music artist yeah. working on his solo career. I mean, you use the word fortunate, fortunate, fortunate a lot, but I, I don't see that. I see product. And that's a product of the work that you put in and a product of the person that you are. And a product. your life is an absolute product. Where you are now is a product of your decisions around the things that have happened within your life up until now. You know, right away through from being the child will go back to the diaper changing <laughs> child now you know and at every stage as you've described throughout this whole this whole this you've described this whole journey here you had a choice a choice that could have led you down one path or a choice that could have led you down another even when the careers teacher came along and popped the journey the the the, the vision completely destroyed it you could have gone down the route that went all right well life's effed and i'm just gonna sit here and just let it wash me by or you can go down the other route which means you do something about it you know it's life's full of choices i mean in your your journey itself through to now it's a true testament of all those decisions that have been made along the way and how you haven't allowed your creative your creative spark and streak that caused so much sheer delight in your younger years you haven't let that get lost along the way and i think a lot of people let their true passions get washed by the why because people say that life needs to be serious or we need to grow up mm, which is the mm, term that people mm. love to use when, I mean, when you speak to, to kids nowadays and they tell you go out what do you want to be when you grow up you know they'll tell you all sorts of things i want to be an astronaut i want to be a you know a pop star i want to be an international footballer mm. you know these unrestricted dreams mm. and then they hit 16 and they bump into the career the careers advice person that <laughs> says 
What are you talking about? That's you need right. to go to school and you need to go and get this and you need to get that. And then it's they get they get burdened. Their shoulders just get heavier and heavier and heavier to the point when they come out of university and they've run out of dreams. They've just got things to do. Yeah, you know? completely. And I think your your story is a true testament to holding on to, holding on to you. Holding well, on to thank you. Thank you very much, Andrew. Yeah. I think I think underpinning all of that, you know, it, it hasn't been a, an absolute coast. And I think it's important just to stress the self-development. I think yeah. it's so important that um, we are constantly, in every way, growing. It is what we're supposed to do. If you plant a plant, a plant a seed, yeah. it will grow into a wonderful whatever it's supposed to be. Yeah. And we are the same from the moment we're born. Absolutely. And so we need to keep growing. And if there's something that you want to, to do, then you must find ways to make it happen by being curious and asking yourself, how could this be? What would happen if? And then just stepping into the answer to that Absolutely. question. Read a book, you know, watch a video, a podcast, listen to, whatever it is that nurtures the mind. And I think that's what's supported me, is that creativity is being ignited and fueled and illuminated by other people like me who are not, who don't want to be in a box and who wants to create their own path and create a groove where there doesn't exist. What I'm doing now, working with creatives, there isn't anybody out there who does what I do, no. who serves the mind of creative artists in every capacity, looks after their mentality, assists them in their journey. There's no one out there. So I realized that I am actually creating something that doesn't exist. No wonder it's so darn hard. <laughs> no wonder it's so challenging. I don't have anyone to follow as a template. So I think it's really important that people do what it is they, they need to do. Absolutely. Want to do. Absolutely. I think you've, you've, you've hit the nail on the head there. So I'm just getting a little bit conscious of time now okay. and what have you. So just, just want to move on to one sort of closing bit. So we said the top five, top five yeah. tips you've got for, I was going to say young people then. We're not talking about young people. We're talking about people here. So just top five tips for people that want to pursue their happiness. I would say number one is be really conscious of how you live your life. Yeah. You know, live in consciousness um, of how you treat others, of what you think, of what you say, because in time your behavior will be reflected back to you by others. Absolutely. And that's something you said earlier. You know, yep. The reflection of how people respond to you is how yep. you are to them. Absolutely. Number two is to take positive action and lead by example. I think it's very important. Yep. Definitely. And I don't think it's done enough. I don't I think, think it is done enough. No, I think people people forget, you know, as, you, as my mum used to say, do unto others as you'd expect to be done unto yourself, you know, mm. so be your own example for what you want to get back from the world. I think, yes, and I think that if you don't accept responsibility for your own actions, that if you make a mistake, it was down to you. Yes. It wasn't because he made you do it. No. If you don't do that, then there's very little chance of you being able to be a leader, lead yeah. by example. Yeah, so um, knowing your purpose and your values really helps you to do this, I think. Absolutely. To know what you stand for and Definitely. the things that you want, I think is important. Number three is um, take responsibility for everything you do. <laughs> Own it. Own it. You see people out there with the material things like cars and dresses and uh, trousers and phones, all these things. They own them. And they take responsibility for them. Yeah. You know, um, God forbid that you even stamp on someone's shoes that are brand new. Yeah. It's all, you know, you're in it trouble. It could be a life-changing experience. Exactly. <laughs> so how many of us are actually doing 
putting that energy into taking responsibility for ourselves, of really owning ourselves. And if someone does something that offends us, we stand up to it and we say so. Absolutely. We don't lie down and be trodden over. No, and I'd like to put, add something onto that. It's not just the negative, it's the good things as well. Mm. Take ownership for mm. everything that happens in your world, yeah. both the good and the bad. You have every right, every right to praise yourself when you have done something that is worthy of praise. When you've achieved, when you've done something that makes you happy, you're allowed to say, I'm happy. You're allowed mm. to be happy. Mm. I think sometimes when people say take ownership <coughs> of them, of themselves or responsibility for themselves, they get, they think that because society has dictated responsibility as being this heavy, mm. bad thing mm. that, you know, we take responsibility for the things that we've done onto others where we've hurt them or we've caused problems. But what about the actions of yours that have caused pleasure in people's lives? What about the kind actions you've done that have genuinely helped someone out? What about the times where you've been an inspiration for someone that's helped them to get out of the rut that they're in and released them into their truth? What about those? You need to take responsibility for that yes for the things that don't necessarily go so well but also more importantly for the things that do i think that's so beautifully put thank you for that reminder Andrew. no worries really nice uh, we need duality in life yes you do um so then number four is whatever you do ask yourself how can i enhance and affect someone else's life today that's a beautiful one yeah so it's not always i know we're talking about being selfless and and, and th no, selfish but yeah. we're not going to call it selfish just about thinking about yourself <laughs> i know that we're, we're encouraging that of course but actually often you get rewarded when you think of someone else with yeah. the action that you take absolutely how can i go out in the world today and serve someone else just picking up someone's shopping today i let someone go in front of me because she had two boxes of washing powder and i had a whole lot of shopping <laughs> Yeah, and she was ever so grateful. I didn't yeah. want the gratefulness. I just wanted her to be able to get on with her day and do what she's yeah. doing. Um, and I think if, if we can all um, do that, and I'm not saying that I'm perfect because I'm not, but I do my best to be conscious yeah. of that. If we can all bring that consciousness in, I think that the world would be such a more beautiful place. It would be, most <laughs> definitely. And then the last one, uh, we asked a five, didn't we? Yeah. Um, when you come up against a hurdle or a challenge, a, a, a resistance of some kind, and you want to give in because any kind of resistance will cause you to stop or freeze yeah. in some way, and it's a natural response, perhaps you could ask yourself just one question. What if? What if I did that? Yeah. What would happen? Just what if? To take you out of the resistance and the belief that it's not possible. And children, I think, they don't have any boundaries on this. Everything no. is possible. Absolutely. Always possible. And if you ask them to create something, he went up to the moon and then the moon yeah. went up to the sun and the stars spoke to you. And it's like, <laughs> whoa! <laughs> you know? yeah. They have absolutely no boundaries on what is possible. So you ask a child, well, well what if I got on the bike and I rode over the water? I doubt if they'd even say to you, you can't ride over the water. No. You know, they'd just be like, well, then you'd, you'd reach a boat. <laughs> and the boat would you'd, take you off. You'd be all the way over to the Caribbean yeah, and blah, exactly. blah, blah. And it'd be really hot. And you'd need to remember you've got sunscreen. Completely. No. You know, there's, there's no boundaries. No. So what if? What if I did that? What would happen? I think it's, it's, a, it's a lovely point to, to make there. Because I think a lot of the times we find that we, we make 
we make representation based on the fears of stuff that's happened to either ourselves or others in the past yeah. and we make decisions for our future based on that which has happened in the past and a lot of the times it's not even to do with us it's yeah. something that somebody's told us a story about that's what happens if and that's what the that that's what the, de the definition becomes yeah. when you do this that happens Completely. but you haven't found out you haven't tried yeah. one of the things i try to drum into all of my kids is the absolute rule always try no? always always try funnily enough um i've got a bit of an issue with the word try because i think if you were trying to jump off a cliff you would just put one foot in front of the other and do it <laughs> <laughs> you, you don't try to do anything really but i know we use the term loosely we don't mean it in a lame effect way no um so i you know attempt well i have the same well i suppose my definition my differentiating part is trying I find when people say I'm trying to do this, you had no intention of doing it in the first place. No, no, you're, you you don't been done. Yeah, exactly. I mean, when we talk about try, it's a genuine attempt. It's I'm going to do this, and I'm putting my best foot forward to do that. So that I suppose we're coming from the same page, but I add the ing, and that's where my sure. my bit comes comes in for it. And I do wonder if we actually use the word try in the first place, does that impinge our movement forwards? if you say I'm going to do it or I'm going to try to do it yeah I see what you're saying do you see what I mean yeah. I'm, I'm going to do it I'm going to call okay, you we'll tomorrow okay we'll take the word try out of it okay. and just say we're Tries doing okay, yeah, cool. try it out okay cool we're not trying no we're not, <laughs> we're we're just, not trying we're, we're doing not trying. we're just doing that's we're the doing. one that's the one so Nicolette thank you so much for your time it is an absolute pleasure so much for your time um, do you want to know anything about where I'm at and how people I can find me I was literally me? literally <laughs> just about to do that so why don't you tell everyone where you're at well, remind them of who you are, remind them where, where, where you're at, where can they find you, socials, etc., etc. Thank you. Well, you've been listening to Nicolette Wilson-Clark. Here we go, the radio <laughs> voice is in. Um, with the amazing Andrew Grosset. On, uh, I'll take that. Yeah, I don't blame you. Um, on his podcast. And I am a coach for creatives. I'm a coach for aspiring and for established creatives. And I really support your mind and where you're going and assisting you in achieving your results. So you can find me on my website, which is all the W's embodiedentrepreneur.co.uk. You can find me on the radio as well yes, from April when I come back, relaunching the show on what will then be Riverside Radio, which is presently now Wandsworth Radio. And you can find me for one class a week. I'm teaching at Union Station Yoga in Clapham Junction. Please do look up Union Station on the uh, search engines and you'll find me there if you want to come Tuesday evening at 8.15. It'd be a pleasure. Say that you heard me on Andrew's podcast, so I know where you're listening from. And then also, for those people who would like to join me at Live Well London, which is the first of their wonderful health and well-being events in Old Billingate, Billingsgate, I will be there teaching an hour's yoga class on the 1st to the 3rd of March. I'll actually be there on the 1st, between 3 and 4. And then I'll be there on the Sunday on an expert panel which is all to do with health and well-being at 10.30 in the morning. So just, uh, just key in livewellondon.com and you'll find details there. And then finally, um, the, the last thing that I'm, I'm really doing for myself is voiceover work, which is developing, using my voice, as we yeah. heard about on my journey, is realising yeah. that I should start using my voice more. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's really my journey moving forwards now, is to develop that. Awesome. and to use it how I can to support others in some way. Awesome. Yeah. Right. Well, 
Thank you so much, Nicolette. It's a pleasure, Angie. Thank you for having me. Ah, you're more than welcome. And this... just to say that um, thank you for all the listeners who have stayed with us during this yes, time. Yes, yes. <laughs> Definitely. This will be going out unedited and uncut. That was the promise that we made in the beginning. And that's the one that we're going to ride right the way throughout. So it is a conversation that I'm having with the various different people. And today has been a conversation with Nicolette Wilson-Clark. So thank you very much very much for listening i was going to say so so actually then but no thank you very much for listening shameless plug on my part we've got the fit london expo which is the other part of what i do when i'm supposed to be doing something um <laughs> so you've got the fit london expo coming up on the 17th and the 18th of august i will put a link on the bottom of this and if you follow me in any of my socials no doubt you'll have seen the various different footage going out left right and center advertising that fact tickets are on sale now just head out to www.fitlondonexpo.com Com. Um, I will be there on the day. Catch me if you can. Um, and yeah, we're just down to have a lot of fun. Fitness being united under one roof in London. 50,000 50, souls underneath one roof in one event. It's going to be a blast. Nicolette, thank you once more. Thank you so much for joining us here. Thank you for having me, Angie. No worries. And I will see you guys in the forwards. In the meantime, you stay strong and you stay focused. Take care. <laughs>